give that shit up, you can concentrate on golf. If you can dodge a wrench, you can dodge a ball. Great moments are born from great opportunity. You play ball like a girl! Hi, everybody. Welcome to a Roy Orbison Tattoo Podcast with me, Colm, and my co-hosts, Massey and Paul. This is episode 3 of season 3, and if it is your first time listening, I would advise to go back to the start and listen from episode 1, as we will refer to previous shows from time to time. The show does contain film spoilers, so if you have not yet seen the film, I would advise to watch it first, and it might help you understand a little bit better. Now for today's show, I hope you enjoy. Right, so today we are watching Marooned. Uh, I think, the, I don't know what, is there a full title to it, Marooned, Paddy O'Shea and Westmead 2004? Um, or is it just Marooned? And we got Massey and Paul as always, and we're delighted to be joined with uh, West, former Westmead footballer and hurler, Alan Mangan. So welcome, Alan. Thanks, lads. How's things? How are you, Alan? How are you getting on? How are you, lads? Good okay. stuff, Massey. So, Alan, give us, come on, give us a bit of background on yourself there before we, uh, I suppose, I don't want to be doing you any injustice by leaving off. Um, just, I'm uh, from Castle Gagan here. We're an uh, intermediate football club at the minute. We were senior for many years, but got relegated a few years ago. We're intermediate football, but we'd be, we'd be more known as a hurling club. We'd have a lot of, um, we've a lot of uh, inter-county hurlers down through the years and not so many county footballers, but luckily enough, I was one of those and came along on the right side of a couple of good teams that we had down through the years and picked up a couple of medals and it's uh, it's just probably good timing by the mother and father, I suppose. More than <laughs> Very good. Always, always have them to thank. And like I suppose, look, we're we're talking about Maroons. Um, you were you were a star, a, a star, I suppose, a star role in the in the show. Like, do you, what can you remember of it yourself from the, the filming part? Let's say. Um, don't remember too much of it. I remember just the first uh, couple of um, occasions that they were there. You'd see them and you'd be wondering what's going on. And basically it was, we were told by uh, Paddy and the coordinator, McDuffie at the time, that this was going to be filmed as we trained. Um, and they were going to be there in the background of matches and that they would be very discreet. And in fairness to them, they were ex- extremely discreet. You were, most of them sessions, you wouldn't even know they were there. They'd be outside of the fence and you wouldn't even, they wouldn't even uh, make themselves known. And they come in after training starts and they'd be gone before training ended and they picked up bits and pieces in most sessions. But uh, no, listen, we were told this is happening and we were told nearly from the first, from the first week in January that this was going to happen. And to be honest, Never even thought anything of it until it was announced. We got a text to say that Maroon was going to be on television on a Monday night. Um, and that's basically, that's basically all. They were, they, were good, they were good lads to have following us around and they picked the right year, in fairness. Oh, oh I know the, the show finished on the Leinster final. I presume they actually kept going for the rest of the all Ireland series, did they? I don't know, to be honest. I presume that like we didn't have a great day against Derry. We uh, we probably slightly threw it away, to be yeah. fair. And it's a pity because we would have played Kerry in All Ireland semi final, and that would have been a, a great story for everyone as well. But um, uh, we threw it away a bit, to be fair. We probably celebrated winning the Leinster a little bit too much as well. And sure, you learn by your mistakes. But the following year, then we. I think, I don't know if they were following us again the following year, but we sort of threw it away against Kildare as well. I missed the penalty. If I'd scored it, we would have won. And if we didn't, and I didn't, so I don't know if they were following us the following year. But listen, 
all in all, it was a, it's a great show and it's great to be part of it. But uh, they picked the right year to follow the right man. Yeah, Absolutely. and like I know you mentioned there about uh, you probably celebrated Leinster too much, and it was interesting that uh, Paddy was saying after the Leinster semi final that it takes one fella now to ruin it. And but you know you have to celebrate those successes. Your first time ever, like as a county, the like it must have just been this, the scenes must have been unreal in the county around the time of the Leinster final. Like, were they? like it was a joke. I think I don't. I think that the Leinster final that year was on at six o'clock on a Saturday evening to replay. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, it was. Yeah, I remember. I don't watching, think. Yeah. I think we got to Kinnegad maybe around ten o'clock or half ten, and sure, we didn't get through Kinnegad till twelve o'clock. And <laughs> it could have been, it could have been one or two in the morning before we actually got the whole way into the hotel in Mullingar. Like the streets were thronged with people, and it was um, sure it was basically something that we had never witnessed before. You know, like we'd won the All Ireland under twenty one and minor, but it was, it was nothing compared to this. Like sure, the place went, it was mad. Like we were in. We were in the Greville Arms that night celebrating. We, I, I don't drink, so I was tipping off, and I was going out around four or five o'clock in the morning. And you, you'd swear a bomb was after going off in the streets. Like the place was destroyed. <laughs> there was still people asleep in the street, and I was. It was great when you look back, and it's like imagine that happening now. But uh, uh, it's like, like for the year that was in it, like to beat Offaly, who you hadn't beaten in so long, then to beat Dublin, who you hadn't beaten in so long, and then follow that to like to win the Leinster for the first time ever. It was like it was just it was an unbelievable summer for Westmead players and supporters. And yeah, it was. It was. It was great. And uh, to be honest, it was. It was all down an awful lot. Of it was down to Paddy and, and Tomas as well. Tomas is a brilliant trainer. In fairness, but Paddy instilled this self belief in us that. Not during the league so much because he was he wasn't at all the training sessions uh, like he would have been tipping off early and but geez the minute the, the championship came around he was a different man he was a different beast like we'd arrive to training and he'd be out on the pitch kicking around himself before <laughs> anybody yeah and uh, he um, I it's just I always remember the difference in and in fairness he always said it he said I'll be a different animal come championship and. We, he, it probably started maybe a week before we finished the National League. We had to beat Mayo to stay up in Cusy Park. And geez, we played hard well that day. And um, I remember, I think, I, I'm not sure, I think it was Gary Dolan that scored a penalty that day near the end of the match. And we won by four or five points. And I think it, would, it really started off from there, a bit of self-belief. And, but we spent an awful amount of time together. Like we were, we were away every weekend. We were gone during the championship. We were gone... Friday evening and you wouldn't come back till Saturday or Sunday evening I mean and you were gone for two nights and you were training both days and you wouldn't come back till Sunday evening so you didn't really want the supporters to get a hold of you and maybe get into your head about how well you were going around he just shut us away from the public completely and he was probably right and I remember I got on the bus one day with a newspaper under my arm and I walked by him and next thing the newspaper was swiped out from my arm and it was fucked out the door and there was pages <laughs> gone everywhere outside, outside the bus and the, I just kept walking and ever since that and just straight down the bus and saying nothing but uh, he just didn't want you reading into anything or listening to anyone talking shit and brilliant, brilliant. Oh, sorry you, you see the way you were talking there about he was a different man come championship and it was it was noticeable the the difference between say just before that last league game and into that. Do you think he purposely done that to try and get a handle on news before really implementing what he was hoping to implement, which or what do you think it was? 
Yeah, I think I think when you when you look at the draw, when the draw was always there, we knew we were going to play an awfully first. And listen, at the end of the day, the National League, you know, like I know you play the National League and you're hoping to stay up and you're hoping maybe if you're if you won a match or two, you might get to knockout stage. But who really gives a shite about the league? Let's be honest. It's all about championship and like and but gee, he came in and he was just a different animal and he'd be bringing every, you bring you away every now and again for a chat on your own with him and. Uh, like he was, he was a brilliant man manager along with everyone else. Um, he just always had, he always said the right thing at the right time. And I can't really narrow down exactly what the right thing he was saying, but I'll never forget that every time he went out in the pitch during the championship, to be here standing in the back of your head from listening to him. And uh, in hindsight, it probably was exactly what he was on about. He listen, if I'm going to get the best out of these, I made time right. And that's what he did. Very good. And when you first heard that Paddy O'Shea had got the job, what like like he was only sacked a week, not sacked, but he, he was let go, say, of Kerry a week beforehand before he was announced at Westmead. It must have been some lifty or some sort of I don't know what way to describe you probably best way to describe it when you first heard it. Yeah, listen, it was it was a, it was we were actually a couple of us were on holidays in in the Canaries or in yeah, it was in the Canaries we were on holidays and we heard this and we were gone for two weeks and Basically, we found out after about three or four days that this was happening. Didn't believe it. Made a few phone calls back. Anyway, ended up announced and pictures and the papers and stuff like that. So we were actually going to come home a week <laughs> early because you didn't want to be missing anything because <laughs> fuck this, you were only going to get one chance to be on a panel with him. And to be honest, I was in a situation under with Luke. I, I started the last game in the championship that Luke had with uh, against Monaghan and played reasonably well. So they thought with Jack Cooney staying on, I sort of had a small foot in the door because I'd played reasonably well against Monaghan, even though we were beaten. And I was thinking to myself, listen, if I miss training or if I miss this or I miss that, I'm going to be, I'm going to be fucked basically because there was a lot of really good players on Westmead, but just everybody wanted to play with Westmead when he was, when he took over. Do you know, we had a lot of lads that were, might not train, we'd train this week and next week, but Jesus, he, he sort of, totally changed the, the feeling within the camp and everyone trained all the time. There was no such thing as, oh, I might go tonight. Like there was never a session that you didn't have everybody at. And with, with other managers and, and through no fault of their own, lads were wishy-washy and coming and going. And, but uh, it was a totally different, um, it was a totally different uh, situation with Paddy. It was just, you were there, you trained. Like There was a good few lads on the panel that were very, very good footballers and they were just let go. And that was it. They weren't putting in the 100% effort and that was it. Very good. And Brendan, I, know, like I would have heard in college with Brendan Murta. Now, you probably obviously know Brendan fairly well, being involved with the hurlers as well. Like, And he was one of the fellas that kind of chose to go. Um, and I'd say he was one of the unique ones, I suppose. Yeah, it's uh, like I remember Brendan was on the panel. I think Brendan came over. We trained. We went over to Sunderland to train. The first we trained for about two weeks at home, and then he brought. He picked a panel of forty. It was cut from seventy down to forty or something like that. And the forty were going to Sunderland to train. Mick McCarthy was managing Sunderland at the time, so I never witnessed that in like the train that we did over there, but Brendan would have been on that pan on that training squad as far as I can remember. And uh, there was no room, there was no room to play two sports. Like Tom Ryan, Tom Ryan was the manager of Westmead Herders at the time. Do you know the Limerick Tom Ryan? Yeah. yeah. 
And Tom Ryan asked me in onto the panels as well with the hurlers. And I was sort of iffy, will I go, will I not, will I go? And basically Paddy just put his foot down and says, there ain't no room for two sports here. We're going to give this a hell of a rattle for a couple of years. You need to be on board full whack. So Brennan was always more a hurling man than a football man in fairness to him. And yeah. sure, he reaped the benefits of that. Sure, he's one, probably one of the best hurlers in Leinster. Yeah, unbelievable. Unbelievable. Um, how did, like, just going back now, you mentioned about Tomas Flaherty there will go as well. How did you find his transition from coach to manager? Because, like, we've mentioned it before that being the second in command is a lot easier than being the top dog. Um, how did you find his transition? And how did you find, let's say, he would have changed, or did he change? His or relationship. Did, yeah. Um, he he didn't really, now in fairness, because he still ended up doing a good bit of the training himself anyway. He sort of stepped back because he did an awful lot of the physical training with us. So we were we were training in Balagor under Paddy and it was there was a sand track built the far end of the pitch and it was the length of the pitch and geez the thoughts of going out onto this sand track. It was a, it was a bit of a it was a bit of a surreal situation going out onto a first we were never on something like this oh jeez can't wait to give this a go I'll tell you what five minutes later I didn't want to fucking leave jeez it was horrendous but Tomas then when he took over his manager took a sort of backward step in the, in the strength and conditioning and the things and and the running and so on and just basically went a lot into the football but when he was with body he did, he did an awful lot of both he did an awful lot of of the conditioning work and then did an awful lot of football so he listen he he, uh, I think we won, didn't we win Division 2 in 2008 under Tomas? Uh, we bet Dublin in a, in a Division 2 final in, in Navin. So, listen, we had a couple of very successful years under Tomas as well. We got to the All-Ireland quarterfinal that year and Dublin ended up beating us. Um, so he was, he, he sort of transitioned very easily, but he sort of didn't really change too much, if you know what I mean. Mm. And he, he like we we're just we we're talking about previous shows there about the importance of picking your right as a manager or as a coach, picking the right fellas to be on board with you. And like Paddy was a master stroke bringing Tomas in with you there. He really seemed to fit fit the type of team that you were. Absolutely, and he was as thick as a double ditch as well. So fucking, <laughs> was you weren't going to get away with too much with him. Like he was, he was just it was his way or no way. And I remember. I won't name any players, but I remember we were, we were starting training. We used to always start training in Balagor at quarter past seven. And everyone had to be on the pitch for between quarter to seven and seven o'clock. But anyway, we started training. We did this warm-up. You used to always have to do a lap or two to warm up. And we were doing this warm-up. Next minute, a player arrives in. We started the warm-up again. So the next thing was we did another lap. Another player arrived in. We started the warm-up again. Anyway, we were... We were Started one or two of the sprints and one of the lads who was working late, who was one of the few lads on the team at the time that had any children, arrived. He said to Tomas, he said, Jiz, I'm sorry, child got child, something happened to child and had to drop it to the child minder and had to get someone to do this, something like that. He says, I don't give a fuck. He says, we're starting again. And we were there going, oh, jeez. <laughs> it was unbelievable. But jeez, he nailed down a marker from the very start that... Literally, it was his way or no way, and that was just it. And I tell you, there wasn't too many lads late because by the end of it, lads were just giving you an earful if you were late, you know. So the lads started to leave then themselves. Yeah, absolutely. I thought it was great actually when Tomas started going. He, he was looking at a player and he, and he thought he was going well. And oh, geez, I'm not going to say it to party. And he, he kept going well. He says, What do you think of such and such? He goes, 
Ashley's fucking white boots in them. Yeah. That was, was, a, that was, Dennis, a joke, like, was that Dennis Glennon? No. 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 All right. In fairness, it wasn't. No. He, was, he would have been prone to a white boot or two after that, in fairness, but... <laughs> No, that wasn't him. It was, uh, I can't say who it was because he lived oh, you, you can't, you can't. Uh, that was actually, it was Tom Brown. Scat's his name. He's sort of, he's involved with sports talk. Yeah. Okay. Um, and Tom Brown is his name. And he was, he was only after coming out with minors. They won the, they won the uh, minor Leinster to beat Dublin in a Leinster minor final a year or two previous to that. And he scored a goal in the final to beat Dublin. And he was the player that was playing reasonably well, but Jesus, Paddy didn't want Anton got to do with these white boots at all. And in fairness, he we could have back then we could we got what we wanted. Like people say at the minute, oh Dublin can have this and Dublin can have that. We were we didn't find anything that we wouldn't get if we wanted it back then. If we wanted boots, we were getting three, four pairs of boots a year, and you were getting this and getting that. There was no problem. So, but he always said to you. If you're buying boots, buy a normal player of black boots, and I don't give a fuck after that. <laughs> Very good. How, Very good. Um, like you're you're saying there now about, about party and you know you, you used to go away for the weekends and stuff like that. <clears throat> but is there a shelf life, or what? Would there be a shelf life on on the level of commitment that you were given as players that he would have been like that the management was given, but also the county board, like our well whoever was funding the let's say the whole setup, you know, because it said for going away weekends and stuff like that, like, you know, in this day and age, no, obviously it's happening, but uh, I suppose county boards have been a lot more frugal with their, their spending. Like, could you have gone to the well three, four, five, six, seven years, or was that such an intense thing that the party came in and brought that it was like kind of, you know, we'll try to rise up, stay up there then as long as we can before it naturally comes down. Yeah, I'd, I'd say it was. I'd say the money sort of was going to go dry eventually, anyway. But we had an awful load of men in Westmead and women, for that matter, that were wealthy people. That once party came on board, they wanted something got to do with it. Mm-hmm. And we, like, I remember we have a really good supporters group here in Westmead as well, and it's very well ran and to turn over a lot of money. In fairness, but in fairness, like, if you're I'd say if he had asked if we had got beaten in the first round of the championship when we were going into the qualifiers, we wouldn't have been going to away uh, too often, to be fair. But yeah. when you're winning and uh, there was a like um there was a good few men around the county that were willing to throw a few quid in in into the team at the time. And uh to be honest, in, when it came to ourselves, like, like I know we were away every weekend, but we we went out after every single match let it be a league match or let it be a championship match. We were all together. We all went to the pub. We all went to a nightclub. We all had a really good night together, fucking stayed together for the best of times. And then once that night was over, that was it. You knew you weren't going anywhere again until I think the way things has gone at the minute, it's gone too, it's gone too strict. There's a lot of, like I can see lads, they're afraid to eat a bar of chocolate at the minute. It's just, it's just ridiculous. And you just said the panel you had around that time, 2003, 2004, 5, 6, that era. Do you think them lads have put the same commitment in today's GA where it is that can't go out, can't socialise, can't be seen and not getting the rewards out for it as much? Do you I, think some of the lads would have pulled back? 
I think that I think they pull back now because, like, if you take a, a team like Westmead, it's it's very hard to see unless it's a national league title. It's very hard to see us winning anything else. Um, like let sure Leinster Championship. Let's all be fair about it. Is nearly uncompetitive at the minute. Yeah, sure, Dublin just going to the floor, and it looks like they're going to do it for the next number of years. But like, uh, if we t- if if teams thought they could win something. Um, I'd say they'd have no problem putting in the time and putting in the effort. Uh, we we trained three times a week on the pitch when there was no match at the weekend and we were in the gym twice or three times. Like We were doing the same amount of training as these lads are doing now, only we were enjoying ourselves at the weekend after matches. Yeah. Do you know, we were having a yeah. crack. The yeah. crack has nearly gone out of it now. It's... It's like you see it. Players are very serious. Um, like you, you say, you'd seen the, the interview. I think everyone saw it of of Kieran Donahue having a go at Joe Brawley. Would you see that? Would you see that happening now? Mm-hmm. I don't think you would. Um, you know, little things like that. But listen, we put in the effort. We trained. We trained extremely hard. Um, we had a lot of very good leaders on the team. They were just going to, they were there to win something and we had a chance of winning something. And in this day and age, I'm not sure whether teams like Westmead have a big chance of winning something really big. But at the same time, players want players want to be there to put in the effort. I thought it was really interesting actually after the Wexford game. And it looked like it was possibly out towards Port Marnock. Not, not entirely sure, right? But Paddy talked about, look, he's on Tuesday night off training go and have your beer tonight, but that was it. And the phrase he used was, finny, was funny and he, he plenty of good ones in it. It was, you're like the good detective, you're never off duty. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, and like, look, I, I think the, them, them championship nights have to be, have to be marked in terms of, because of the effort that's being put in and, and the sacrifice and advance them. I think they, they need to be marked out in as much as possible. Like, Yeah, he, yeah, uh, I like, you know, I was only watching Maroon the yesterday, and I, I just saw that, and it's uh, it's amazing how much attention he was given when he was talking. Like you <laughs> never see, you never see in the group, you never see lads looking away to one side or wondering what's going on over there, or or tying a boot, or like every lad is sort of tuned into every word that he said, and uh, like he like they let us out, and in fairness, Tomas used to come down. No, let it be, probably keeping an eye on us more than nothing else. But Tomas used to come out with us and have the crack, and Jack Cooney used to come out with us as well, and Paddy came out a few times with us, and uh, so it was a sort of a, a team effort. But in fairness, he took the limelight off us a lot with his own persona and the way that, especially coming into the Leinster final when he when it was the whole it was deemed Miko against Paddy and. Basically, we weren't doing. There was a couple of players that were earmarked marked to do interviews and stuff like that. But I was one of the younger players in the team at the time, and and I was sort of told, "You're not going to be doing any interviews with anyone." That's just as simple as that. If you were, you could do one. He used to pick one or two lads. I could think I did one with RT after the Dublin match, and that was the only one I did. But he sort of handpicked lads every now and again to do bits and pieces. And you could see even in that Dublin match, even back then, two thousand four, you could see that Dublin were getting away with so much back then that they're still getting away with now. Like that elbow from Kieran Whelan was just absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, and I they still it. they still get away with it. Yeah. They do, 
<laughs> but uh, I actually pulled it was Kieran Whelan was there and I went in and I pulled Kieran yeah. Whelan off him and I fucked <laughs> him on the ground next minute Darren Holman sort of picked me up like I was a child and brought me away and uh, uh, if you look back in that he sort of grabs me with a face and he fucks me back and I just looked at him and he says you know what I'll sort of stay out with this one now no, no. but listen Kieran Kieran was a fantastic footballer, but how he stood in the pitch that day is beyond me. He absolutely <laughs> nailed Mitch with an elbow. And if it was now, he'd get three months for it. You know, that's and if he was any other county, he would any other county, yeah. get away with it. <laughs> <laughs> Being harsh. But, anyway. uh, but like his speeches, like, can you remember, like, obviously, look, there's one in particular when he was on about uh, getting blown over the sideline, like a loaf, a loaf of bread. Like, did he pick, did he say that to you because he knew you'd react the way you reacted? Like if he could have said that to somebody and somebody's confidence could just be fucking gone, basically. But like, did he know you well enough that, yeah, I can say that to fucking man, you know, and, you know, I'll get a response out of him. Like, um, I'm not too sure whether he, uh, to be honest, we had a group of lads that you probably could say that to any one of them. Okay. Like I'm not too sure now and with a lot of lads in this day and age that you could fuck a lot over like that and you might get the same reaction. But we'd a we'd a panel there of lads and I think he he could have um he could have uh, said it to any one of us. But I went into that game, I was like I don't know if you watched any of the matches, but I was absolutely atrocious the first day. I was shocking and I have to stand up for myself. I was sort of pushed out over the line for one of them. So <laughs> But then again, I took on Darren Rooney down the sideline and Darren Rooney was twice as big as I was and it was a foolish thing on my behalf. And he, in fairness, he did drive me into the stand with a shoulder. And, but uh, we, um, he could, I was in a situation where I didn't think I was going to start because Joe Fallon came on and Joe scored two points. And Joe was a phenomenal footballer. Like, I, I don't think Joe Fallon doesn't get the sort of credit that he deserves in uh in around the country, let's say, because geez, he was unreal. I think he came on and scored a point or two against Wexford. He scored a point against Dublin or two points against Dublin as well. But I thought Joe was going to start instead of me. So when Paddy gave me that eight, and it was sort of like, well, listen, he's not going to eight me now if he's going to drop me. So <laughs> I nearly was inconsolable all week. I, no one could talk to me. I was fucking wired I was thinking geez I'm going to be dropped now and we're going to win the Leinster Championship and I'm going to be a sub and like, yeah. there's nothing wrong with being a sub don't get me wrong it's, it's, it was great to be part of it but you still everyone wants to start and I sort of said to myself after that well listen he's not going to hate me if he's going to drop me so maybe a little bit of a little bit of good thinking on Paddy's behalf but a little bit of relief on mine yeah very good you see the way in the film there was there was, there was a bit with Joe Fallon, like, and he came on and he went well against Dublin. But he talked about in it, he quite, he knew he wasn't starting based on the way training was being laid out, right? And so you're you're in that management sphere now, where where you're coaching and being involved with a lot of codes and a lot of and a lot of different Westmead teams. Is that something you'll be conscious of? That fella who who isn't starting, like, and 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 the way you're dealing with them. Yeah, it's uh, like a, a lot of teams are doing this and, and you nearly like you nearly have to finish with a stronger team on the field than you do starting. If you, like if you look at the Dublin team now, I know they're the exception, but they're bringing on lads that are only improving 
the team and Kerry probably likewise in a way that to bring in on lads that are going to make a massive difference. Um, the way Pawdy and, and Tomasin did it was that the six forwards marked the six backs all the time at training. So basically you knew if you were, if you were in the six forwards at training, you were probably going to start. Whereas if you were down the other end, obviously of the field, you knew, Jesus, I'm going to struggle again here now in this situation. But listen, I spent every training session all year marking John Kane. Now, I'm going to tell you one thing. You weren't going to come up against anyone on the pitch that was going to be as good as him. You know, I, I, geez, I was sick to me teeth of him um, just looking at him because he was just like, he's two all-stars. He's just a phenomenal footballer. But I spent every night of that summer marking him. And it, it only improved me as a footballer. I'm not too sure it works. It would work now because you'd have lads whinging down the fire end, but there was no, there was never any bicker and lads just got on with it. And, uh, but it, you sort of knew with Paddy whether you were going to be starting or not. And I said, that's why Joe made that comment that, you know, by the way training is going, that I'm probably not going to start. So that's, that would be, that would be what they would have done. And in your own training, then, what have you taken, sorry, one, have you taken anything from Tomas and Paddy? And in your own, that you have in your own philosophy when you're coaching teams, are, is it, say, you take their good points and their bad points and say, I won't do that or I'll do this or, what way do you go about it yourself? Yeah, absolutely. I did. I sort of did it with. I sort of. I was always into a bit of coaching and always looking forward to it, doing bits and pieces with uh, underage teams and stuff. So what I would have done was, after every training session, if we did something new, I'd write it down. And I was living in a house in town with Damien Gavin actually. Time he's the Westmead under twenty football manager at the minute, but he was on the panel and he did the same thing. So we'd end up going home and writing down this uh, a session. So we have visited bits and pieces of books and uh, refill pads with different drills. So would have took an awful lot off, the, especially the two of them, because you, you rarely did the same training session twice. You know, you were yeah. like, you might, you might do the same drill some nights, but you never did other. It was just different drills added in every night and bits and pieces. So you'd write down an awful lot of stuff that the lads did, but Listen, you're not going to learn off anyone better than than Paddy. Let's be fair. He was mm. he was just unreal, and he was he was very very good. Like I'm only talking because I was lucky enough to be on the first fifteen. I can only talk on my own. But seeing you were on the first fifteen, he'd bring you off for a little jog, and you'd be jogging beside him. And let's be fair, you'd be jogging along thinking, "Geez, this is Paddy O'Shea." Now, a year and a half previous to this, I would have thought you'd nearly wouldn't talk to him if you met him because you'd be afraid to talk to him. Yeah, and, and here he was just a brilliant way about him in terms of bringing you away and having a chat with you and seeing how you're feeling and would always ask about the family and always ask their little things like every player wants to be wants to be liked and wants you to have an interest in them you know so I took an awful lot of stuff off the two lads and Very just, good. just come back to what you were saying there now about writing stuff down after your training sessions and yourself and uh, sorry was it, Dar- was it Damien Gavin Damien Gavin like how did you find that that helped you as a player or did it help you as a player? Like, did you start questioning, like, were you just writing stuff down or were you actually kind of going, what do we do that for? What are we trying to get out of it for? And did that help you as a player? Um, I wouldn't say when I was writing it down that I was trying to thinking it was helping me as a player. I was just thinking of years to come, I'll have yeah. this and I'll just write yeah. this down now and I might just write it down and close the book and never even think about it again until I actually opened it up a few years later when I was doing a bit of coaching. 
But uh, but then you see things like we done an awful lot of training with Tomas where you'd work the ball into this into the sideline and you'd solo along the end line and you'd hand pass the ball over the bar. And we used to do this and we you'd be doing it for 10 minutes of training. You'd be thinking to yourself, why are we soloing in here along the end line and hand passing the ball over the bar? It just doesn't make sense. <laughs> like it was mm. just, it kept going yeah. for 10 minutes and then you change up and then you go back to a week later, you go back and do the drill again. But then you look at the Leinster final and you look at Brian Morley scored a point on Marooned where he hand passed the ball over the bar and Fergal Byron absolutely nails him with a shoulder <laughs> after he hand passed it over. And then you look at the sideline and Tomas jumped up. You'd swear it was the best score that was ever kicked in Crow Park. Yeah, he jumped up almost from the film, yeah. yeah. And I was right looking at that pitch. today and I was thinking, I was looking at that yesterday and I was thinking, Jesus, like, that's, he's looking at that thinking, this came from the training ground. Like, it was literally, I got a ball, I hand-passed it into Shaco, Shaco hand-passed it over the top to Brian Morley coming in along the end line. And that's what we, we used to do. We used to do this drill constantly, but it just... I was looking at it there yesterday and I was thinking, Jesus, that's why he jumped up because this is something that we worked on. Yeah. For I'm not messing lads. We did that drill 20 times throughout the year. And you'd be wondering during the drill, why in the name of Jesus are we doing this? But yeah. it's worked out in the end, and that, that's where it came from. Yeah, as a coach, like when you when you were practicing a set play and you do score like that, you do get satisfaction there. Like you, yeah, you can and see you saw right Tomas jumping yeah. up off the sideline or jumping up yeah. off his chair and he running out to the sideline to let a roar at everyone. Yeah. But yeah. no, it was uh, it was great to look at that. And then you see little things like that happening. And you say, right, well, if you do work on something enough, it'll end up reaping the benefits in the end. Absolutely. They were they were all fairly animated on the line, actually. Uh, Party like, like you could see party like willing to be in the action at different stages and even and and then always the manager there now and, and doing a very good job like Jack Cooney has nearly twenty nearly twenty years ago now and and he hopping around the place as well a different kind of persona of what he'd have now you know and it was just it was very interesting to watch. Yeah, it's just like Paddy nearly was kicking every ball, which he was doing this and he was doing that, and he was and then his hands in his head, and but he was he, like he always said that. I think I think if you talk to Jack and you talk to Tomas, that they'd say that listen, at the end of the day, I'm going to be engrossed in this match. If a change needs to be made, you make the decision, then come and tell me before it's done. So right. he sort of he sort of got. I think managers now, you'd see most managers standing there with their arms folded and keeping very quiet. But Paddy was completely different. He was up and down the line. And like, I know when I was watching it, I am I was the only fella called Alan on the team, but I got fucked over the hip times. Yeah, <laughs> and like I'd be tracking someone and basically be out of my ear and I'd be walking back and by you, you didn't walk with them lads. They were in your ear constantly. So I just I was listening to it there yesterday and I was thinking, Jesus, I got some amount of items in that program. <laughs> <laughs> but like, would that type of management, that style, like, like as you said, it's kind of gone, like, you know, the, it's the Jim Gavin, the Mickey Hart standing on the sideline with the arms folded. Like, would, would that type of management still be effective or, or was there just a time for it? You know, the real animated... Um, if it fits type, I suppose, he's the only... The, the last remnant of it, like, yeah. I listen. I think I think Paddy O'Shea could manage in twenty years' time. 
I think Pottinger would come back and he'd be able to do, he'd work his way in to in some way, shape or form to get the best out of someone. Yeah. Like he was just phenomenal. And uh, I, I'm not too sure whether, like if you look at Jack now, Jack, Jack would be quiet and he would do, he'd be very reserved. Um, I think this sort of now the manager sort of has to be sort of the mad one is the mayor of Fornia who's running in and out and he's roaring and shouting at lads and, but the manager sort of stays a bit calm. But I think, I don't know, I I think that if Paddy O'Shea, unfortunately, if he was around now, I think he'd still be a legend in 20 years' time and well able to coach anybody. Yeah. No, it also helped. Like, you, you were blessed with a serious, talented group of players there. Like, players who won all Ireland's underage and, like, who were playing Division One football. I know you said it was only league, but you, you, you had incredibly talented players at the time. Like, Ah, we did. Listen, we had, like... I remember, like, when I came into the panel first, Rory was only after collecting his All-Star Award the night before. And my first training session with Westmead uh, under Luke Dempsey was the following day, and Rory was there training. Like, it was, there was no airs and graces about him. He yeah. just came in and he trained, but he, uh, like, he had, a, he had a massive engine. And we with a half-back line, to be fair, that would that would challenge any half back lane at the minute. They were mm. like you had Michael Ennis, Damien Healy and Terry Keevan. Like they were just mm. machines to run. Like if we were doing a running and you're out in Belvedere or Balagor and you were doing a long distance run. They're the three lads that'd be at the front. There'd be no one else within <coughs> 50, 60 yards. Of them. We'd yeah. be all punting and puffing down the back and the boys would be just <laughs> machines. But they... They did last with anybody now, them three lads. And then, sure, you move up into the forward line, sure, you'd... Like, I, to be fair, I was playing in an inside line with Dennis and Desi. And no disrespect to anybody that I was picking up, but I was always picking up the worst of the three of them. They're, yeah, I, get, I know what you're saying. You know what I mean? Like, the two lads yeah. were always going to be picking up. Like, <laughs> unfortunately, for Colin Byrne marked Dennis the first day. And Colin Byrne was coming to the end of his leash career and Dennis was starting off his, and Dennis Glennon, and he still is fairly quick, but Jesus Christ, he was like lightning. He had Colin, the X factor, didn't he? Ah, uh, he was just unreal. Yeah, and he was. And uh, like a lot of people would say things about him, but a, a nicer guy you couldn't meet. He was, he's an absolute gent, but a phenomenal footballer. And Brilliant footballer. He, he could burn anyone. And you look like people say, oh, he had a great Leinster final first day, but he scored two absolute whoppers the second day as well. It's and like he had no no shortage of confidence with him either. He was <laughs> he, he had plenty of that. And then sure you had the man himself days of playing with you as well. Sure, he was he's different gravy as well, you know. He how did just, you how did you find like I can empathize with you small because I played in the opposite corner of Jodine for a couple of years at club level? But when you got Desi Dolan in the one corner. And you got uh, you got uh, full forward like like obviously you're the you're the let's say the, the third option like how did you find like how did you work yourself into stay prominent and stay so involved and to stay so influential in the in the games like like as I said Blinster final four points in play like and you know that's yeah well we sort of we didn't play like we didn't play in a way that we were trying to get every ball to Desi yeah you know, or every ball to Dennis. We didn't play that way at all. We we played the ball back then into the man in the best position. And and that was just it. It didn't matter who made that run into the best position. If the ball was on, we gave it to them. Mm. And the, 
like if you look at now, we knew we were playing full forward. We were an orthodox full forward line. I was in my car. Now we we did a lot of switching, obviously, but we we had three up top. There was no such thing as I'm dropping back out into the middle of the field and I'm going to go back to the full back line. That was that wasn't going to happen. It was it was basically we knew when the lads got the ball, if it was on, they were letting it in, and you just had to be out in front. And we great kick passes the ball out the field and the. The lads out the field were well able to pass it in if they did put it on a tuppence for you if you wanted it there. And in fairness, Desi's runs were probably an awful lot better than both myself and Dennis's, but we were we were sort of well, I'm the same age as Des, even though I look about 20 years younger than him. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, uh, but we were make we were making runs basically, but we, we made an awful lot of unselfish runs as well. Yeah. You were making runs out of the way to make room for them and Listen, you knew when Desi was going to get the ball at nine times out of ten, it was going over to Gobar and Dennis probably seven or eight times out of ten, and I was going to get five or six out of ten. So <laughs> we were it was a uh, but we there was no errors and graces. You didn't you didn't really you knew if you made the right run you were getting the ball. It was simple as that. Yeah. You weren't just aiming to get it to Desi all the time. Yeah, and it seemed like you do good communication. Like and I presume that that probably came from the, the six on six at the trainings like that you would have spent a huge amount of time the three of you playing together because like yeah yeah there was times you were getting balls not in where you were positioned like that well i think if you look at that leinster final i think the majority of scores that we all got nearly came from passes off one of the other two yeah you know and we we did play extremely well together and it was easy to play it was easy to play with the two of them because they were the two of them especially were totally different like i was lucky enough I I two good feet. I was able to shoot with both feet. Dennis was unbelievably quick. And Desi, and I know people mightn't say this about him, but he was phenomenally strong. It didn't matter what way you kicked the ball to him, he was going to win it. And he just had the strength to shrug someone off and he, he kicked more points than than uh, than I can care to remember. But like Dennis would have been up there with him. Dennis would have done an awful amount of scoring for us back then as well. So it was uh, it was great to play with. It was easy to play with them, and we were all sort of different players as well. It was neither, none of us were the same, you know. It was none of us were making the same runs. And Dennis, you could kick the ball fifty yards away from Dennis, and he was going to win it. You couldn't kick it fifty yards away from me because I might be out in front for the first fifteen, but then the other lads start catching up and <laughs> out past me. And so, but we great. Listen, you're only as good as the ball that comes into you. To be yeah. fair, and the lads out the field were unreal. Like we had a great half hour lane that were. We two big monsters in the middle of the field, and we had a great half hour lane that were just winning every ball that came their way. Yeah, and like Leinster football back in the noughties, like it was sure. Like if you took Dublin out of Leinster, no, it would be a great competition. But back in the noughties, was like it, it was an unbelievable. Like everybody had a ch- like there was a bunch of you had a chance every single year, and I'd say you probably look back and think you should have won more. Like, yeah, we should have won it. We should have like. To be fair, it was probably my fault that we didn't win the following year. Like, I missed that penalty. I, if we scored that penalty, I, we would have beaten Kildare. And we would have got to another Leinster final. And, like, Leash, um, Leash got beaten in that Leinster. I think Leash played in three Leinster three finals in a row, in a row yeah. didn't they? Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, it's a good team. You might, play, you might play three Leinster finals in a row now, but you wouldn't win any of the three of them. That's the problem. I, I even believe that you're going to win one of them, even. 
Yeah, and it's it's uh, it's just I don't know I don't know whether I'd enjoy playing county football at the minute. I know if I was young enough, I'd still play. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But I don't know whether I'd enjoy it as much as I enjoyed playing while I was playing. It was great crack and great laugh, and the lads a good bunch of lads, and everyone you played with was a nice fella, and we all got good. on very well. Good, good. And yeah. then just cross I park one doesn't it? No, and uh, um, Alan. The scene between the two juvenile teams playing in the film. <laughs> What's the story with that? And what what two clubs are they? Because it, it it's like it's like a carry on sketch. <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, that's Ned Flynn. Ned Flynn is the man that's talking, and Ned is probably if you take the far side of the county, like where it would be predominantly heard in Castle Pollard, Collinstown. Crooked Wood, Multifarnham, sort of all that area. That's predominantly hurling. And Ned was back then was probably the only real football man in the whole area. So he'd be organizing matches and like the, that young fella, I've played against that young lad, Mickey Murray, more times. He plays hurling for Castle Pollard. I played against him more times after that than I care to remember. But that poor whore gets some slagging about that now. Like, you know, he's the, the small little fella, was it? Yeah, he's afraid to mark yeah. the guard. But uh, them two clubs, going by the colour of the jerseys, they're uh, multi-Farnham and Crooked Wood. But... Crooked Wood, I don't. It must have been Bumbrosna because Crooked Wood are a hurling club, but I'd say they probably just used the hurling jerseys. Yeah. And I'd say it was Bumbrosna against <laughs> Multi Farnham and maybe Castle Finnecool Whitehall because that's where Ned would be from. Ned would be a great character, no? great character. Well, it was a, it was brilliant. It was, it was like a carry on film. Yeah. And the young, two young the small, fighting the, them. The small lad. The with, it was like the jersey down to his knees. Yeah. He wasn't afraid lad, of the yeah. big lad, in fairness. <laughs> No, he wasn't was backing out. No, it was brilliant. It was it was top class. It was top class. And tell me then, just going back to your own coach, we know that you're saying you're involved with Westmead senior hurlers and you've involved with ladies football and football. Do you take a different philosophy between the way you coach between hurling and football? Or do you approach it in the same manner? Because I know them hurling lads are a bit mad. Yeah. No. <laughs> we have... Uh... We, my own club here, we'd have six, we'd we'd have six or seven lads on the county hurling panel. So I know all them lads pretty well, and like we're a senior hurling club, and I played senior for Castown for twenty years here, and won a few championships. Luckily enough, but um, I don't, I I really don't. I try to sort of change football drills into hurling. Now you know people say do it the other way around, but I tend to, I if I really like a drill, I would sort of. I modify it a bit so it'll suit a hurling, the hurling and the things. And like change is as good as a rest, if you know what I mean. Like it's uh, like lads enjoy doing different drills if they're competitive and they're, and they're working well. Doesn't matter whether the drill is Mickey Mouse or fucking picking and picking the ball and dropping or whatever. If it's enjoyable, lads will like it. And I sort of tend to take all the best drills that I've done with football and try and integrate them into the hurling setup. Um, I'm only in, I only went in after the this year after COVID hit. A couple of the selector Brendan Murta actually went back as a player, and I went in as a as a selector instead of him. And I'm back. I'm going to go do a year now with them as well. And uh, but really enjoyable, really liking it. It was with the Westmead ladies as well when we won the All Ireland with a joint manager with Peter Leahy and uh, Mick Reynolds and Danny McDermott, who was on the county football panel under Tomas for a few years as well. 
he was a selector with us, but really enjoyed that them couple of years with the Westmead ladies because I tell you what people say uh, there's a different there's no difference with these girls it was just the commitment was unbelievable they never miss sessions they just worked their arses off and that's that's what you want you want you want a team to come or, or a club let it be a club or, or a county to just come in and give it their all for one hour an hour and 15 minutes tops and if everyone comes in and gives it their all well then you'll get something out of it if you if you're half arsed about it you'll get nothing out of it but if you come in and give it your all get yourself in the right frame of mind you'll always get something out of any team yeah i think once the attitude of the players matches the i suppose the ambition of the management that's a huge part of it a lot of time like isn't it yeah and then like you talk about leinster now it's uh it's like it's very hard when you go into a Leinster Championship and you see teams sort of falling over against Dublin and losing by 24, 25, 26 points and you're and then they're getting slated in the paper. But she's, how hard must it be at the minute to get yourself up for that game knowing you're not going to win? Yeah. Like it must be shocking hard. For management especially to get the best out of it. Like Westmead, in fairness, stayed closer to to Dublin this year than any other team bar Mayo. Yeah. And they were still beaten by 11 points. Yeah. You know? It's tough. It is tough. And like, I suppose, like as I said, when the enjoyment goes and when the, I suppose, the opportunity to, to win goes, it's uh, it does get, get much more of a chore for them. Um, but back to one more thing. You're still, you're still kicking football with Masters football, are you? I played a bit of Masters there last year, yeah, with uh, with Westmead. It's good crack. It's it's great to be able to out sprint someone every now and again. <laughs> uh, but like, uh, still plugging like... away with the club, coming on as a sub, and we're intermediate. And uh, got to the semi final this year and got beaten after extra time by a point. But still trying my best to keep the boots on for as long as possible. But uh, Weight is getting on the wrong side of me and fitness and all that sort of crack. So it's uh, very close to an end now. But sure, listen, we keep plugging away as long as we can. And if I'm any use, great. And if I'm not, if I can help the younger players, I don't mind. Let's just ask, has, do you think the coaching you've done has prolonged or shortened your career? It's, it's it's probably prolonged it because I wasn't training with the club so much when I was off coaching other clubs, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> I was doing bits and pieces. So, listen, I'm 42 in January or in June and I'm going to be 42 before we play a championship match this year with the club. So, oh, listen, I'm if I can get a ball into my hand and get a bit of space... I might be able to kick it over, but it's all about getting that space now. And unfortunately, it's not as easy to come across as it was back in the day. But listen, I think the coaching that I did is when I was coaching other teams, I, I if I was coaching them on a Tuesday and Friday, I was or a Tuesday and a Thursday, I was probably training myself on a Wednesday and Friday. So I probably was kicking ball four days a week, if you know what I mean. I'd be out kicking kicking balls in and other drills. So I was probably doing more footballing than I was doing anything else. So uh, listen. To be honest, if I was a defender, I'd be finished. I'd be gone. I wouldn't be playing the last 10 years. But seeing you're a forward, you get away with it because <laughs> you don't have to follow them. Every You can sort of pick and choose when you go down the field to follow. Kick a couple of scores and you're okay. <laughs> oh, geez, yeah, but sure, they're very hard to come by now. Let me tell you. <laughs> uh, sure. Pretty good. Um, anything else to add, lads? 
No, I thought, as I said, I thought it was great to look back at it there. It's on YouTube if anybody wants to watch it. Um, it was, it's like, as I said, it was a golden time for Leinster football. And like, I was in college in that loan at the time, and like the buzz around the Westmead people was just fantastic. Um, like, just the going to matches, talking about matches, their enthusiasm for football. It was just like, it was, it was brilliant. It was just brilliant, brilliant time. And for yourself, Alan, like, geez, it was a great achievement to do what you did. Yeah, it was great. And uh, to to be fair, now we um unfortunately when when Paddy passed away, we all a lot of us went down to Ventry for the for the funeral for the removal and funeral, and we couldn't have been treated any better. It was unbelievable to think that this family had just lost their father, their husband, their uncle, or whatever whatever relation was, and they couldn't have been better to us. Like they they set us up with somewhere to stay. We didn't have to pay a penny for it. We went to pay the next morning and it was all sorted by other people. And like, it just goes to show what type of family the O'Shea family were. They were just such a nice group of people. And every now and again, you get a message on Facebook off one or two of them. And it's, it's always nice to read and they've never forgotten us. And I can assure you that we'll never forget Paddy especially, but especially the way we were looked after when we went down to the funeral, like it was, it was, it, I'm not too sure whether it happened anywhere else in the country, how well looked after we were. And we were only making our business to go down to show our respect to a great man. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and as well, like he, he just did seem so larger than life in it. And like even one of the first interviews in and an interview after a match needs to top off, and she's, I don't know if he has the shorts off as well, but he's the top of <laughs> And it seemed to be a theme throughout the throughout the documentary. He had his top off, I'd say, four or five times in different scenes in the show. And it just, he was just, it, you'd love to have been in in, in his company and owned. Uh, he was, a, he was, a, he was a great man and he was great crack to be around. Like he was very serious extremely serious when it came to the football but the minute the football ended he was great cracked like we went to South Africa on a holiday after that and he came with us and geez we had a mighty time with him and uh, he was like in fairness he, he was extremely extremely fond of the Kerry players and Kerry like he'd always tell you Kerry's me number one like he doesn't he wouldn't let you forget that now he'd be telling you but he'd be always talking about about his wife and kids and it was always uh, it was always uh, something that you'd have to admire about him he always he always remembered where he came from yeah and I think I think with him it was probably and yourselves like it was probably a match made in heaven um, you know the the madness of him and probably the madness of yourselves um, just kind of synced perfectly whereas a lot of managers come and go but it just seemed to that like yeah, he had that persona about him. He had that yeah. persona about him that he just got, he got the best out of everyone and even his management team, he got the best out of everyone in there as well. And we had a right good management team. Like we had, um, we had Mick Duffy, who was the coordinator that never left a stone unturned for us in fairness. And we'd poor old Puggy Lynn, who was, uh, Puggy would have played a bit of rugby with Clontarf and unfortunately passed away. Jesus, it must be, um, Seven, seven or eight years ago now, Poddy or Poggy passed away as well. So it's it's sad to see that two of our management team are not around anymore. But they'll uh, they'll be always remembered around here anyway. Yeah, yeah good stuff. So, 
Um, must we give Paddy a, a rating, or is he getting five out of five? Ah, just five out of five. I guess five out of five. He gets he gets five out of five for calling the carry by a bunch of animals. Um, <laughs> well, he gets he gets he gets ten out of five for me. I'm <laughs> confused. Colin with his maths there now. Yeah, <laughs> no, no. I said I know and I even get a chance to play Kerry that year. But I, as far as I know, and if you're still playing Masters football, Kerry are putting in the team next year. So. Uh, Oh, good stuff. Yeah, no, yeah. I'll still plug away at that. All right, yeah. it's uh, yeah. it's a it's great competition and it's uh, yeah. it's well run. And if if lads can uh, if lads can just commit to it, it's it's great. And we yeah. even off there's actually a load of lads off that team now that are just after turning forty and forty one. Yeah. So if we can get a lot of them lads to play, might get you a lot of won't. But you're listen, it mightn't be it yeah. mightn't be high profile enough for some of our lads. You see, yeah, because. <laughs> Cork, because we put in a team for Cork this year and uh, within two weeks of it being announced that Cork were in, Kerry were making phone calls to get in as well, just to keep us down. Um, <laughs> you have to put manners on you in some way, shape or form. Uh, now as the, as the, quad, the coordinator is a male man and as he said to me, he goes, uh, he goes, you sound a bit young. And I goes, yeah, I'm only 36. And he goes, oh yeah, sure, you're in the development squad for the next four years. So, <laughs> um, Lovely Good. stuff. Alan, uh, you're anything to plug there? I know you've got a podcast. On yeah, we. Um, I started up doing a bit of a podcast with uh, Sports Talk. So uh, sort of interviewing managers and uh, we've done, um, we have done Jack Cooney. We've done Michael Ryan. Uh, we've done Shane Kern and uh, one coming out this week is Frankie Dolan is coming out this week because so, Frankie would have managed a few club teams around here and uh, so hopefully getting Mickey Graham onto the programme now in the next couple of weeks as well so and then sort of doing an hour's, an hour's uh, podcast every week leading into the National League fixtures uh, so that's the plan, trying to interview a few players coming into it. So that's the plan with Sports Talk for the for the moment. So it's called, I don't know why it's called Buddha's Talks because I don't do too much talking in it at all. <laughs> but, uh, and that's the nickname. So uh, I don't know why it's called that. But anyway, we're going to plug away and give it a go. And sure, no more than yourselves, trying to hit a platform. And if we can get enough followers and people are enjoying the listen, that's all that matters. And you can find that on Twitter, can we? Uh, yeah, it's so on Twitter and it's on Spotify as well. Very good. And you started off with a couple of mad jokes uh, with your your with Cake, Shane Corn, and uh, yeah, Ryan yeah. And as as Frankie as Frankie Dolan told me, Frank- Cake could come out with a few words now that you mightn't have heard of in your life before, <laughs> but you can you can get the dictionary out after it's yeah. over and and see what he meant by them. But uh, I know he's very astute. I tell you, yeah. uh, people yeah. might think he's a bit mad, but. There's method in the madness, let's say. Really, yeah, and he's—I know he won the he won an awfully championship last year with the club he was with. Yeah, uh, yeah, so and he's he's with a club here in Westmead now this year. So luckily enough, they're senior. They're, if they were intermediate, I'd have to hit him <laughs> or two, but don't have to go near him now. Yeah, That's excellent, That's excellent. Stuff. Good stuff, thanks, Alan. Alan. Thanks for your thanks for your time. Bye, lads. Appreciate it. Thanks a million. Thanks, Alan. Cheers. Thank you. Talk to you later. Thanks for joining us today. Please leave a review on your favourite platform and if you enjoyed it, tell a friend. You may also want to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Roy Orbison Tattoo. Next week, we will be watching Hoop Dreams and we'll have Laura Finnegan join us for the show. Thanks, everybody. (laughs) 